Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. All right, well, good morning. How we doing? Good, good. Come on, we can do better than that. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I need some help today. My throat's a little sore, so I need some help. You got to keep me going today. Hey, I want to welcome you into the house of the Lord. It is a great day to be in God's house. Amen? Amen. It is, it is, it is. And I want to thank all those people who are watching us online today as well. And also, guys, if, if you uh, missed it Friday night, I'm going to tell you something. You missed something. It was amazing. We had the Jingle Jam here Friday night. This place was packed. And they did an amazing job to Carolyn, Brett, John, all the volunteers, all the youngsters who pulled all that off for us. Can we not give them a hand? What a great night. Great, great night. Hey, today we're going to continue in our series, Christmas series called Love Came Down. And, and we're looking at the different stories of people in the Bible and how their view or their perspective shaped how they saw Christmas. If you remember in the first week, we kind of, we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then last week, Pastor Rick talked about her husband, Joseph. And so today, we're going to look at the perspective of the first Christmas. We're going to look at the first Christmas from the perspective of a gentleman named King Herod the Great. And so as I was researching, I was trying to look and see what was, you know, what was out there about King Herod and how we, you know, how we talk about him and relate that to this story, which is, is, is always an interesting thing. But I came across something. I came across an article by a guy by the name of Pastor Andy Cook. And, and so believe it or not, I actually called the guy and I said, hey, I, I don't have an intro. Can I use yours? And, and he goes, well, yeah. You know, he said, is that for the glory of God? I said, absolutely. He said, well, yes. And so what he did, guys, was so cool. He took the, um, the story by, of Dr. Seuss, of the character, the Grinch, and, and he compared him to King Herod. And, and, and I thought it was so cool, but I also definitely want to give him credit because I'm not that creative. But, um, you know, as much as I've seen the Grinch and, and, and the different remakes and all the things that they do with it now, nothing ever compares to the original. I think that's true in most cases, but nothing compares to the original. And it starts like this. It says, every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who, who lived just north of Whoville did not. Why, you ask? Perhaps, said Dr. Seuss. It could be that his head wasn't screwed on quite right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think most likely the reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. And guys, the real storyline here is not that the Grinch stole Christmas, but that he couldn't steal Christmas at all. Yeah, he did. He stole the tree, he stole the gifts, he stole the food, he stole the stockings. He stole all the decorations. He even stole the popcorn, the plums, and all the Whoville pudding. He stole it all. 
By the time he was finished, the Grinch had stolen everything out of Whoville except some hooks on the wall and a speck of food so small that even the Whoville mouse turned up his nose at it all. And that is the end of the rhyming because nothing rhymes with Herod. So you're, you're safe, okay? I feel like I'm in rhyme mode the rest of the day. All right, so, so this happens, but much to the surprise of the Grinch, what he didn't realize is he left one thing behind. Somehow, some way, the Grinch left Christmas behind. The story goes on to say that when the good folks of the village woke up Christmas morning, they joined hands in the streets and they sang songs of Christmas as if it didn't matter if the gifts were gone, the food was missing, and all the decorations were stolen. And up high on top of his mountain, the Grinch in his house, he, he, he couldn't understand what was happening. You see, it puzzled him that despite all of his work, despite all of his evil intent, he hadn't stole Christmas at all. He had simply missed it. And, and I love this story, guys, because this is a story by Dr. Seuss that tells us that the Grinch's perspective or his view of Christmas comes from the size of his heart. And, and, and what I'm trying to tell you today is so does ours. So does ours. As our heart grows in our Savior and Lord, we grow, and so does our perspective. I love what Psalms 423 says. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. But let me ask you this. What if? What if he wasn't the original Grinch? What if there was someone before him who tried to steal the very first Christmas. And because of that, he too missed it. You see, but this was no story or no fable. This was a real man. And his name was King Herod the Great. Now, Herod ruled as the king of the Jews under Roman authority for 33 years. He was probably best known as a political survivor. I know all of you know of that person, right? And you've probably, you may be one, or you may have worked with one. Somebody who, for no matter what happens, they fall on their feet. Or no matter what the changes are above them, they just continue to keep moving up. And, and, and this was Herod. He was, he, was, he was really just him. But the thing is, is guys, he was real, right? Sometimes I think when we talk about these uh, biblical characters, we think of them as mythical figures, we think of them as, as, as not real, but, but this is so real because historical records and the Bible tell us about Herod. It says this, that when the Civil War broke out in Rome between Mark Antony and Octavian, it said Herod first, saw, Herod first sided with Antony and his ally Cleopatra. You remember she was the queen of Egypt. But when Octavian defeated Antony in 31 B.C., Herod, being the survivor that he was, was able to switch sides convincing Octavian of his loyalty. So what happens is after Octavian has this victory, Rome makes him their supreme leader. They made him their supreme military leader, and they give him this title called Augustus, or Exalted One. And, and, and this is such a great part of the world's history because what I found out is this is where the Roman Republic ends and the Roman Empire began. And now, by this time, Octavian is known as Caesar Augustus. And he tells Herod this. He says, Herod, you, in your position as king of the Jews, is secure 
as long as you can do two things. He said, I need you to maintain order in Israel, which really meant that he had to keep all the Jews peaceful and under control. And then he said, and you also have to protect the western flank of the Roman Empire. But you see, Herod was more than just a survivor. He, he was also a very clever and a very efficient ruler. He was best known as an incredible builder and was truly an engineering genius. And, and that being that engineering genius is what earned him the title, the great. He built several palaces in different areas he lived in. And, and they said they were so luxurious that they included freshwater pools. Not only that, but they included even a form of air conditioning to beat the, the heat in the Middle East. A absolutely amazing for this time. Guys, he built Greek-style theaters, he built amphitheaters, and even outdoor stadiums for horse and chariot racing. But he was best known for renovating the temple in Jerusalem. They said that, that he renovated the temple so well in Jerusalem that it looked even better than when Solomon first did it. And, and if you read in the Bible about all that Solomon did with the temple, you know, that to me, that, that is absolutely amazing. But there was a very dark side of Herod. You see, there was a dark side because he trusted absolutely no one. When you are willing to do anything and everything to get what you want and to keep what you have, you can't trust people. Because you can't trust yourself, right? And he became so suspicious of everyone. And even though he had everything you could possibly want from a worldly perspective, he had everything. He lived most of his life in fear of losing it. Herod was a very jealous man. Uh, if someone was gaining on him in popularity, power, or riches, he had no problem simply having them eliminated. And guys, this included his own family. His, he, Herod killed his own brother-in-law by drowning him in one of his pools. He put 46 members of the Sanhedrin to death. And he killed his mother-in-law, one of his wives, and three of his sons. Augustus Caesar reportedly said this about him. He said, it's better and safer to be one of Herod's dogs than one of his children. Guys, Herod the Great was a ruthless, ambitious leader who cared only about what could make him richer, more powerful, and able to eliminate all the threats in his kingdom. And, and, and what I want you to see is when you live like that, when you live like that all throughout your life, what we see is that your perspective is shaped by that, right? And it changes and, and, and creates how you live and for him, it was how he lived, how he believed, and how he ruled. That's what shaped his perspective. Now, you may remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Mary and, and, and what shaped her perspective. And we said because her view of God was so big that her faith matched that, right? Because as, as God grew and his definition grew, so did her faith in him. And, and then this week, we're going to look at Herod's perspective. We're going to look at Herod's perspective of not only who God was and is, but also how he saw the baby Jesus. So, so if you have your Bibles or devices with you, we're going to camp out in Matthew today, okay? We're going to be in Matthew again in, in uh, chapter 2 of Matthew. 
And, and guys, I want you to understand, it will be a little bit different today, so hang with me, um, because what we're going to do is we're going to go through the story and talk about it in a Herod versus God situation, and then we'll circle back around, and we'll talk about how uh, Herod and Jesus uh, got along. So, so, so hang with me there. So Herod versus God. In, in chapter 2, uh, it starts by them telling us that, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the time or the rule of King Herod, and that the Magi from the east, who we know as the wise men, right? The Magi from the east came to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. And, and what we're told is that, you know, because Herod was in Jerusalem, he, he heard this and he knew this, and they came to him, and this immediately disturbed him. Now, you've got to remember something. We've already talked about how Herod was a very smart, clever man. He was described as an engineering genius, right? And, and the Roman Empire added the great to his name because of that. Well, what happened is all of that got to him. You see, his pride got so big and he got so arrogant that he believed he could outsmart or outscheme anyone, and that included God. Look, at, look with me, if you would, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 5. Read along with me, if you will, please. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was written, has written. So what, what we see in verse 3 through 5 is that Herod calls all the chief priests together. And he does this to try to find out where Jesus had been born. Because by this time, what we do know is this. We, we know that... Jesus uh, was approaching about two years old at this time. So he had already been born. And, and so they, they start explaining to him, the, the teachers, they start explaining to Herod that he had to be born in Bethlehem and that he was born there to fulfill the prophecy spoken about him hundreds of years earlier. You guys remember, it might, might know this, it, it was in Micah 5.2. And it said this, it said, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And, and, and I tell you that to say, hey, you see how it, 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 it takes care of prophecy. But at the same time, I want you to see this. Herod had his chances. He was being told the truth of Jesus. He was being told very plainly who Jesus was, where he was being born. And guys, he wanted no part of it. Because his desire was to be king over Jesus and not the other way around. So now we kind of get into the Herod versus God. And in verse 7 8, uh, uh, verses 7 and 8, after he, after he finds out where Jesus was being born, after the teachers told him that, it says this. It says, Herod sent the Magi to Bethlehem, saying to them, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. So basically, he starts by lying to the Magi, right? 
and, and, and thinking once again because of his pride that he had outsmarted everyone. And, and he believes this because he doesn't truly understand who God is. So, so again, Herod thinks that he's one. You see, Herod didn't know God. He only knew of him. He didn't know God. Because, and because of that, guys, he didn't realize that God knows everything that's going to happen even before it ever happens. You see, he didn't realize that God knows what he's thinking before he thinks it. And he didn't realize that there is nothing in this world that happens unless God ordains it or allows it. Do you see that? Because if he did, if he did know that, he would have known that it would be impossible to outfool, outsmart, or out anything our God. You see, when we truly understand that definition and how we decide to define God, again, is going to affect our perspective. Mary thought he could do anything, and she believed everything he said. Herod thought he could fool him because his God was very, very small. Please hear this today. You can't outsmart him either. Guys, you, you cannot fool God, okay? You, you cannot hide things from him. You cannot lie to him and think he doesn't know. You cannot do that because our God knows everything. And so when you know that, and I know that, we can just be honest and truthful with him. And then our relationship gets better and better and better. All right, so, so let's look at what happens in verses 10 through 12. It says, the Magi find Jesus and worship him, and, and they present him with gifts, right? Well, then they're warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they return to their country by another route. Now, here's what I want you to see. Can you see how easy it is for our God to, to disrupt what Herod's got. You see, remember Herod, he, he maps out this amazing plan, right? And he, he thinks he's got a, a magi fool. They're going to come back and they're going to, you know, show him where Jesus is. He's going to go and kill him. And God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. Not today. But you see, Herod being the survivor, Herod being ruthless, there was no way he was giving up this easy. There was no way that he was going to allow Jesus to take over. Matthew 2.16 says it this way. When Herod realized the Magi had outwitted him, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. First off, I want you to see this. He wasn't outwitted by the Magi. He was outwitted by God. And because of that, because of that, his anger boiled. So what does he do? He goes out and he kills all babies two years and under because he knew that Jesus was two years or under. So he goes out and just kills all babies. And, and you see, that's where we start seeing how evil and how wicked he is. The truth is, it just didn't matter to him because he didn't care. You see, his heart had turned to stone. And his heart turned to stone because he had made himself the most important person in the world. His heart turned to stone because he wanted his desires more than anything else. So basically, 
Herod tries to become his own God. But I want you to see what the real God does. I want you to see what our God does. In Matthew 2, 13, it says, When they had gone, and this was speaking of the Magi, when they had gone another route, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is searching for the child to kill him. Now, now I, want, I want you to notice this, okay? God tells Joseph what's about to happen three verses before Herod's plan is even mentioned. Do, do you see how far our God is ahead of evil? Do you see how you can never fool our God? Before Herod even devised a plan, God already had an answer. That, that, that's our God. And that's why Herod had no chance of killing Christ or ruining the first Christmas. So, to me, Herod versus God is a knockout. So let's look at, at, at about Herod's perspective or vision of Jesus. You see, Herod saw Jesus as a threat instead of a savior. He saw him as a threat instead of a savior. And there were reasons for that. Let me, let me, let me show you some of those. We're going to have to circle back to the beginning of chapter 2 to kind of understand this. So stay with me. And, and, and what we see is as soon as the Magi announced that, that one of Jesus' titles would be the king of the Jews, Herod's first thought was that Jesus had to be destroyed. Because, you see, what happened was Herod was named by the Roman Empire. Roman Empire. He was named by the Roman Empire as king of the Jews, and he thought Jesus was going to take that away. And he thought absolute power came from the Roman Empire. You see, the Magi wanted to give his title to Jesus. They wanted to give his title to our king and our savior, and that made Jesus a threat. There's another threat that I want you to see here. And, and this one comes because of the rumors. This comes from the rumors that, that the Jews thought that Jesus would be like, right? Well, Herod was living in Jerusalem at the time. And so he heard these same rumors. They believed that Jesus would be a man of great stature. They believed he would be a man of great nobility. And they believed that he would be a conqueror much like Alexander the Great. And, and guys, you have to understand that terrified Herod. That terrified him. Think about this. Here's a man who had an entourage of some of the best trained soldiers in the world. And guys, they guarded him day and night. They took shifts and they was never unguarded. And somehow, some way, he was scared to death of a two-year-old baby because what we have to remember is is that to keep his job he had to keep the Jews peaceful and he had to protect the western flank of the empire and he felt like Jesus was a threat a big threat to both of those so he had to find a way to try and eliminate him and then finally in the first part of Matthew chapter 2 in verse 2, when the Magi came to Herod in Jerusalem and they were looking for Jesus, look at what they said, why they wanted to see him. It says this, we saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
They came to worship Jesus. And guys, here's what Herod knew. Herod knew that worship led to popularity. And that popularity led to power. And again, that made Jesus a threat. What, what I want us to see today is this. I want you to see and understand that Herod's per perspective of God was shaped out of the fact that he only knew of God, but he didn't know God. He didn't know the God of the universe. And his perspective of Jesus was warped because he saw Jesus as a threat to everything he had instead of being the king of kings and Savior of the world. You see, love came down, and Herod missed it. Let me, let me read something to you about how he ended his life. Let me show you what happens when evil takes over in our world. Let me show you what happens when, you, when your heart turns so hard that you can no longer hear from God. Upon his death... What Herod had done is he went out and he had the most influential people in Jerusalem locked up. He put them in jail. And his orders were that on the day that he died, execute every single one of them. You see, Herod knew that no one would mourn over his death. But the evil in him wanted to make sure at least there were some tears when he died that's evil and that's what it does and that's why we have to stay away from it do you know God or do you know of him is he the number one priority in your life or he, is he a casual relationship? Is he somebody you go see on Sunday and the rest of the week you leave him alone? Do you know God? Are you with him daily? Are you studying? Are you praying? Or like Herod, is your definition small? Are you still trying to outsmart him? Fool him? Tax season's coming. Will we be honest? Relationships. Our families. Our work. You see, if we believe that God is the God of the universe, if we believe that God is everything and knows all, we got to live differently. And the only way that's going to happen is by his transformation. But please, please today, let's stop lying to God. Because he already knows. Or maybe this morning, maybe this morning you see Jesus as a threat. And you say, what do you mean, Mark? Because Jesus is going to want to change some things in your life. Trust me. He's going to come in and he's going to invade your life. He's going to make changes to your life. And there are many of us that say, I want to live my way. 
I want to be in control. That's what Herod said. Again, if Jesus knows everything, if Jesus loves you so much that he died for you, and he tells you that he wants what is best for you, why do you want to be in control? I, I don't know. But I take it back. I take it back sometimes. So I know it's there. God's the creator of the entire world. He wants you to be his. He wants to love you. He wants to take care of you. And he wants to change you. Yes, change you. He wants to change you and I to become more like his son, Jesus. But what we have to understand to do that, he wants all of us. He wants all of us. And so my question today is this. If all of Jesus means less of me, am I okay with that? If Jesus is going to change the way I think, the way I act, the way I am, am I good with that? Because that's what this message is about. The last thing I want when I die is for people to be killed and executed so that someone would cry at my funeral. That's evil, and it scares me. But you've got to understand, if you're not with God, you're with evil. There is no middle ground. And so today, my prayer is, my prayer is, if there's anyone here who has been thinking that they can fool God, if there's someone here today that has not truly accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord and given Him everything, I pray you'd do that today. I pray you would do that today. I pray you would get on this journey with us and see what God has in store for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you. I thank you so much, God, Lord, that we can, we can study your word and we can see, Lord God, not only the good but the bad. And we can see what happens, Lord God, when we allow the bad to continue to grow in our lives, when we nurture it. Lord God, please show us how foolish it is. Show us how foolish it is, Lord God, to, to try and fool the creator of everything. And God, instead of fooling you, May we just bow on, get on our knees, bow our head, and be so very honest with you. May the desire of our life, Lord God, be to be more like Jesus. I pray this, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.